Good morning. There we are. Sorry, I was already on. Um, glad you guys are here this morning. We uh, we had an interesting first service. We didn't have a sermon at all. It was uh, it was fun. Um, th- you guys get to hear a little bit of a sermon, but we're gonna I'm gonna try to keep this as short as possible because I think the Lord has some things for for you to participate in and respond in. And so we just uh, the last few weeks have been talking about um, the book of Acts, and last week Steve talked about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to continue on in, in discussing the Holy Spirit and kind of who the Holy Spirit is and what is the role of the Holy Spirit. And you see, I grew up in, in, a, in a Southern Baptist church, um, you know, in, I grew up in Columbus, Georgia, and going to a Southern Baptist church for a long time with my family, and that, and, and that church was not healthy. And let me explain to you why I can make that statement. It's not that Southern Baptist churches aren't healthy, it's that specific church that I was in was not healthy. Because in reference to God, there was the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit was primarily really only mentioned when they would read Scripture and the Spirit would be mentioned in Scripture, and it was unavoidable. There was no reality or teaching or understanding of the presence of God in our lives, and that is the Spirit of God. But when we look at Scripture and we see the understanding and we, we dive into what the truth says, we see that the Holy Spirit was not just some, some person or something that was given, you know, after Jesus' resurrection. Like, he's been there from the beginning. So I'm going to kind of start from the very beginning. So if you have your Bibles or you can follow along with me, I'm just going to read these first couple of verses of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Now, that means, this is really important, that means that it did not have form. Formless and empty, right? That was supposed to be funny, it wasn't very funny, right? So, it was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see, the Spirit was there before the beginning of what we know as a planet that we live on. John 1, 1, we hear again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was with nothing was made that was that was made in him was life and that life was the light of men. You see, we see in scripture and there are numerous places that we can hear scripture and see scripture speaking about the spirit of God. We know of Jesus, the son of God, who came in the form of a man who suffered, died, resurrected and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're going to dive more into that in a moment. But the Spirit of God is just as much God as the Father or the Son. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I think growing up in, in, that, in, that, in that church in Columbus, from my experience, it was almost like we don't want to speak about the Spirit because we don't want... There's so many weird things out there in other churches where things have gone wrong or things have gone awry. And and we don't want to jeopardize our theology by not speaking about the spirit. It's risky. There's a fear of what might happen. And that's where I can look at this church and look at that experience in this church and say, that church was not healthy because that church did not worship God. That church worshipped who they understood God to be, but they did not embrace the God of Scripture. And therefore, they were, they were unhealthy. They were an error. I grew up, as I, as I 
progressed through college and, and found myself kind of coming back to the Lord, I was introduced to the Holy Spirit. And it was a strange experience for me. I found myself in Athens, Georgia. I had befriended a guy named Tom Tanner, who was campus minister, now the pastor at Riverstone Church. And I went to a Holy Spirit conference. A guy named Bob Tuttle was, was teaching over a weekend about the Holy Spirit. And I, and I literally had grown up not knowing much about the Holy Spirit. And I sat next to Tom, and 10 minutes into this thing, I leaned over. I said, Tom, I, this is just, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know. I've never been around anything like this before. And he leaned back and whispered in my ear. He said, just look for Jesus. Just look for Jesus. Because, see, the Spirit's role is to glorify and honor and make much of Jesus in our lives. And so if that is the case and we call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus Christ, then why would we not want the spirit? You see, if God is good, then he is good. There's no yin and yang in who God is. He is either good or he is not good. There's no little bit of bad in God. And so if God is holy and completely good, there's no blemish, no wrinkle, no, no problem at all. No evil exists whatsoever in the reality of who God is. Then that is also true of the spirit of God. And if that is true of the Spirit of God, you and I have nothing to fear for who the Spirit of God is and who He desires to be in our life. So as we look at this reality of who the Spirit is, we have to recognize He is God. And there, therefore, and this, is, this may kind of cause you to, to think a little harder, He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy for us to sing songs of worship to, Holy Spirit, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we are in awe of you. Holy Spirit, you are worthy to receive our honor and praise. It's easy for us to imagine putting Jesus in that place. But how comfortable are you truly worshiping God where you can worship the spirit of truth? You see, from the beginning, the Holy Spirit has been the active agent of God in this earth. He sent his son, the father sent his son, and there was a season of 33 years that there was a physical presence of God, but every interaction of God to this world and this universe that he created and everything that you and I know that has been created, everything that you and I know about God has been an encounter and an experience of the expression of the Holy Spirit. He deserves our praise. He is not some person to be left out. He is the person to be engaged. From the beginning to the end, he is the active reality of God on the earth. I was reading this week from a, one of the great evangelicals. I believe his name is Samuel Chadwick. He was born in Barley, Bar, Barnley, England uh, on the 16th of September, 1860. Into a two-room terrace house. Samuel was a small, thin, this is what... Uh, a historian wrote about him. He was small and thin and always looking as if he did not have long to live. But his ministry grew, and his ministry was so successful that the brewers and the pubs called him the Methodist devil. Because their business started to wane as his ministry started to grow. Small, frail man who had this encounter with the Spirit of God and began to preach the truth of God, and things started to happen. You see, part of my reality and part of my 
my, my, my joy of looking back over my experience in that Baptist church was that God allowed me to have that experience in order to be able to embrace and to share with others the reality of who he truly is and that they hear the full gospel, not the half gospel. The full gospel is a, is a big part of my own personal theology and preaching because of my experience in that, that it is either the full God fully in control in the, and be Lord of my life or there is something not true and not real that I have held back or that is a farce in my reality of God in my walk in Christianity. You see, we either fully embrace all of who God is or we just need to walk away and go figure something else out. Because the reality is he's worthy to be worshipped and he wants to be a reality in our lives. He wants to lead and guide and guard and protect and direct and counsel and speak truth into our lives. Jesus says this himself. But before we get to this, we wanna, I want to read a quote from uh, a little bit about what this, this Samuel Chadwick had to say about the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit is an active administrative, is the active administrative agent in the glorified Son. He is the paraclete, the deputy, the acting representative, and the ascended Christ. His mission is to glorify Christ by, by perpetrating his character, establishing his kingdom, and accomplishing his redeeming purpose in the world. The resources of the church are the supply of the Spirit. The Spirit is more than a minister of consolation. He is the Christ without the limitations of the flesh and the material world. He can reveal what Christ could not speak. He has resources of power greater than those Christ could use. He makes possible greater works than his. He is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of witness, the Spirit of conviction, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of adoption and help, the Spirit of liberty, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of revelation, the Spirit of promise, the Spirit of love and the Spirit of meekness. The spirit of sound mind and the spirit of grace, the spirit of glory and the spirit of prophecy. The Holy Scriptures declare him to be the revealer of all truth, the active agent in all works of redemption and form a last the instrument of grace in experience of salvation in him and through him and by him. The power that saves illumination and conviction, repentance and regeneration, assurance and sanctification and all the work of God, the eternal spirit. To the church, he is the source and supply of wisdom and power. The church is the body of Christ and dwelt and controlled by the Spirit. He directs, energizes, and controls. This is who Samuel Chadwick grew to know the Holy Spirit to be. Do you think he's worthy of our worship? All of what Chadwick is speaking of here is just summary of what Scripture has to say about the Spirit. And yet, for some reason, some way... The half gospel represented primarily in the Western church has been lacking the reality and the fullness of God in the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ died on the cross, was crucified, resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father and had a plan. And his plan was incarnation. You see, we hear of incarnation and that Christian term as as God coming into the coming to the earth in the form of a man and being born of the Virgin Mary, right? Growing up and having this ministry, having these disciples and dying on the cross for our sin. And we understand that that is God incarnate in the man of Christ in whom we praise and give all glory to Jesus name. But there is an incarnation that Jesus died on that cross for our betterment and our good. As we dive into that, look with me to in John chapter 14, verse, 
verse 15 through 17. I'm going to turn to it quickly, and we're going to, I'm going to try to get through this quick because I think that, that God has something in store for you and for me this morning. Verse 15. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, a counselor, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he has been with you. Let me stop there. He's speaking to the disciples here and he says, but you know this spirit because he has been with you. He has been with you in the the reality of that when Jesus, we see in scripture, when he was baptized, countless, you know, people are speaking in each of the gospels saying that they saw the spirit of God descend upon him like a dove. Right. And so there are there are realities of who the Holy Spirit is in Scripture. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was a a person, a spirit that would come upon a certain person for a specific task and a specific period of time. Right. So Moses cries out in the desert. He said, Lord, unless you go with me, you know, I don't want to leave this place. I want. And the Lord said, go, I will be with you. I will lead you. And that's where you got this glowing cloud, you know, a fire by night. Right. In for Gideon, you know, this, it says the spirit of God came upon Gideon. Right. So you have this reality of the spirit of God showing up as a presence to be with a person. Right. So Bill is here in the room. Right. I am here with Bill Stevens because he is present and I am present. Right. We hear in Gideon that the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. Right. So if Bill were to walk over here and I jumped on his back, that would mean be being a co- upon Bill, right? That's a different than just being in the same presence. That is, I'm right here with you, empowering you, enabling you. I am on you, and we are doing this together, right? Fast forward. That is who the Holy Spirit had been in history as we see it biblically until the moment that Jesus is resurrected. And he says, it is better for you that I go Because when I go, then I can send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, and he will be, and this is the biggest and in history, right? Who's seen the Diet Coke commercials, right? And they open up a can and like, you know, the guy's interviewed for a job and he says, okay, you get the job and okay, you also get benefits and just go look at, look on YouTube. You see this and well, Diet Coke's just ripping off scripture because this is the biggest and in all of history is what we're looking at in this passage. Jesus is saying, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, Jesus is with the disciples at this moment. He has not yet sent the Holy Spirit. But this and will not just be with you as he has been with you in my presence. He will be with you as he has been, but now he will come in you. You see, Jesus was the first Adam, the first man to receive in his flesh the spirit of God alive within him as though the spirit was wearing Jesus skin as a cloak and as a as a as a reality and acting through Jesus body to glorify the father in heaven. And Jesus said, I simply do what I see my father doing and say what I hear my father saying. How do you think Jesus knew what his father was saying and had the ability to see what the father was doing by his spirit? We're called to live in that same likeness. And this is what happened in in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. This time where Jesus had given instruction for the disciples to go sit and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. 
This is the climax moment. The resurrection is a climax moment. This is what Jesus said is better for you than me being with you personally, walking every day in your life. Imagine having Jesus as your best buddy, and he was constantly with you, walking with you everywhere you went. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit coming and living in you is better than me being fully present, being able to direct you along the way. There are things that I have to say to you, he says, that I cannot say now, but when the Spirit comes, he will instruct you in all truth. He will reveal to you the things that I have to say to you. Just read John chapter 16. I'm just trying to paraphrase and speak fast so we can get there. Right? Because the reality is Jesus died on the cross and is seated at the right hand of the Father so that he could send the Holy Spirit that you and I could commune with God because that's what we were created to do. And that's what the fall stole away from us. And that's what Jesus came to redeem and to reconcile. Not so that one day you can go into heaven and have a spiritual life when you die, but that you can have a spiritual life right now in the spirit, entering into yourself and him possessing your life, living his life through you as he chooses to do. My prayer has quickly become, Lord, I don't want to be me anymore in this reality. I want you to be you through me. And experience the reality of who you want to be in me and through me in this world that you created. Right. This is what Paul is saying in Galatians 2, 20, where he says, you know, it is no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus who lives his life through me. Friends, if you've become a Christian and I forgive the church for where they have not told you this, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your life is not your own anymore. Your life is now hidden And your sin is now hidden with Christ and he has died and he is resurrected and his plan is to give you his spirit so that he can be himself in you and through you in every relationship you have. He wants to be Jesus through Martha this week, wherever Martha goes, whoever Martha talks to, whatever Martha's doing, the Holy Spirit wants to be the Holy Spirit through Martha to everybody she's interacting with. And she gets to experience and grow in the knowledge of the goodness of God by engaging and welcoming the spirit and being filled by him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's really good news. That's such good news that it ought to be getting somebody excited about what I'm about to be inviting. And that is going to be that this is able for you to have. You see, what happened at Pentecost, these disciples are sitting in this room because Jesus told them to go there and wait. And they're there in fear and trembling and scared to death of what's going to happen to them. Because if people find out that, who, that these are the disciples, then they're going to crucify them. They're going to hang them. They're going to try to put a stop to this whole Jesus movement. And then something happens in Acts chapter 2 and the spirit comes and falls on them. And what do they do? They went out without fear. Why were they no longer afraid? Because the spirit came in power. And things started to happen. Where's your, where, where's your personal Pentecost? What fears are stealing, killing, and destroying your life? What things are you scared and hiding from? And how much are you in control of your own life and have your hands on the wheel and making your own decisions and figuring out what you think is best? Trying to understand what's right and what's wrong and making judgments over everything. Where's the spirit of God acting as this Lord in your life? Because he doesn't come to share. He, he comes. He comes to take over. And his taking over is the reality of goodness in our lives. As we as, as we were talking about in the first service in Galatians chapter five, verse 18, 
Paul's giving instruction. He's saying, you know, do not do not get drunk with wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Right. There is this thing that that men and women tend to do. They get overwhelmed with concerns and worries of the world and they we start taking in alcohol and getting drunk and alcohol. Most of, you know, functions as a depressant. It functions as a depressant because it depresses the concerns and worries that we have literally as a chemical agent in our brain. Depressing those worries and concerns and making them lighter and trying to relieve some of the pressure of all the worries and conditions that we have that we're frustrated with or that we're tired of and we just want a little bit of escape. But see, the Spirit of God coming to fill us does just the opposite. He doesn't depress the realities of the frustrations, the tensions, and the difficulties in our life. He comes to exalt and magnify the reality of who Jesus Christ is and suddenly the reality of these things that were so big in our life become small. This is where we can walk in the spirit and experience the fullness of joy in the middle of a hardship. Consider it pure joy when you endure hardships and trials of many kinds. Right? How are we going to do that? But because we are empowered of the spirit, he, he magnifies the reality of who God is. And suddenly the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Paul's instruction there. As Steve spoke to earlier in the the first service, Paul's instruction there is be being filled is what that Greek tense means. It is that you are continually being filled with the spirit time and time again. It's not just a one time thing. Yes, we receive the spirit of God upon receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we should be looking to be being filled continually like there's a hole in the bottom of our bucket. That's constantly leaking out. We need to get under the faucet and just have water continually pouring in. That there's more pouring in than that there is coming out. That is Jesus' plan in sending us his spirit. And most of the church is blind. And we're ignorant that the spirit is this available as a source of power in our lives. We've been lied to, stolen, cheated. From the spiritual life that Jesus said, I came to give you a life of abundance. The enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I've got something more for you. I came to be a counselor and a guide and to speak and to to reign and to to be a gentleman in your life. And I just want to ask you, where are you in that? I'm going to get Harvest and the, the band to come back up as I read a little bit of a testimony from Samuel Chadwick. I'm skipping the other half of my sermon. This book, um, this comes from, it's called Power Lines. It's a historian researching some of the great evangelicals of the uh, 19th, 20th century. And um, Samuel Chadwick is, it's, it's as though he's being interviewed is the way she wrote this. And then based on his writing, she gives an answer. And so the question goes, please share more of your story about the Holy Spirit. He said, it was a Sunday night when I was alone in my room praying for the blessing of the work of tomorrow. Soon the Holy Spirit was searching and, con- and convicting me. He threw his searchlight on the wonderful sermon that I, that I wrote and I was so proud of. The struggle went on into the early hours on Sunday morning and then I rose from my knees and took my precious stock of sermon manuscripts, put them in the empty grate and set a fire to them. It was a crisis of obedience. When it came, I could not explain what had happened. But I was aware of the things unspeakable 
and full of glory. Some results were immediate. There came into my soul a deep peace, a thrilling joy, a new sense of power. My mind was quickened. I felt I had received a new faculty of understanding. Every power was vitalized. My bodily powers were quickened. There was a new sense of spring and vitality, a new power for endurance, and a strong man's exhilaration for big things. What, was, what did this ministry affect, she asked. Things began to happen. That may be my favorite sentence in the whole thing. What was the difference? Things began to happen. We had failed to do by strenuous endeavor what I had failed to do by strenuous endeavor came to pass without effort. From the first day of my Pentecost, I became a seeker and winner of souls. The very next, very next day, ministry was powerful, and I saw seven persons converted, uh, one from each of the barren preaching years. The next week, I called my people to a week of prayer, and during the week, the Spirit of God fell on the people, and I found myself in the midst of the most wonderful revival. The movement spread down the valley and hundreds were converted. Some of the most wicked people in the neighborhood came to Christ and were changed into saints. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and he had, as he had never come before. Although the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was creative, directive, energizing, but his manifestations were occasional and special. There was a limitation and incompleteness foretelling a day of fullness of the Spirit in which he would come. The signs at Pentecost were not new except in their combination and intensity, enlarged and distributed to a community of believers. The change in the apostles was more wonderful than all the marvelous happenings of the day. A new power of transformation was at work in them. It brought about the new fellowship. The church was born. The new thing was not in the wind and the fire or the gift or the tongues, but in the possession of the Spirit by for God and all for God. That which happened at Pentecost is the biggest thing that ever happened. Now the biggest question of all is, has it happened in you and in me? Have you received the fullness and the reality of the Holy Spirit in your life? You see, Jesus Christ does not have any plan for you to go to work tomorrow and things be the same. He has a plan for you to go to school and for you to be a, a different neighbor and for you to be a different friend, for you to be a different husband and a different wife because he wants to be himself through you. For you to experience him, the fullness of who he is. And for others to experience that reality through you. The possession of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time thing. Yes, we receive Him, but He wants to continually be sought after that He can give glory to Jesus Christ and the Father by bearing fruit through you and through me. So my question for you this morning is, where is your Pentecost? We see in John chapter 16 where Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit and He will come and He will convict the world of sin. If the Spirit is only good, then conviction is a good thing. Can I get an amen? Now, we tend to think of conviction as, a, oh, that's not a good thing. I don't like being convicted. 
Well, if you don't like being convicted, then you're not living in agreement with the spirit of truth because the spirit of truth wants to point out that thing that is in opposition to the glory and the goodness of God, the purity of God in your life. And that thing that needs conviction is a good work of the spirit. It should be embraced by a spirit for Christian. Please bring conviction to my life. Lord, I open myself to your spirit to convict me of sin. Turn on the light and show me the dark places in my heart that are held back from you, that don't want to come and bend the knee to you. I want you to convict all of hell out of me, literally, so that the reality of the darkness can no longer hold, have its grip. That you can be empowered through me to be your agent in this world. That I can know the fullness and the goodness of God. That I can grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Because that is who you are. That is what you do. You're always pointing to Him. You're saying, He's good. He's awesome. He's in. Surrender and bow down. Why would we not want that spirit of conviction if we are children of God? It is only the plan and the the effort of the enemy to try to have that be a felt presence of shame to steal, kill, and destroy when the church ought to be flinging wide the doors and saying, please come and search our books. Please come and search our lives. Please come and search our computers. Please come and search everything in me that whatever is dark might be seen, that I could change and be transformed by the Spirit of God to bear the likeness of the one I love in Jesus Christ. If we're going to be a people that follow in and receive the Spirit of God, we have to open ourselves up to the goodness of who we are. We can't simply look at the Greek, at the at the list in Ephesians chapter 5 of the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and, and kindness and self-control. Everybody wants more of those. Well, guess what? They're coming. Because where the Spirit is having His way, those become the natural outcrop of the reality of your life. You don't even have to try. You just have to worship. You just have to love. You just have to surrender. It's going to naturally happen. People are going to start looking at you and saying, you're somebody different than I've ever seen before. And that's not because you're a better person. God's plan, you listen to this, God's plan is not for you to be a better reality of you. God's plan is for him to be the reality in you and through you. And that only happens by the spirit of God not coming with you, not coming upon you, but coming and living within you. Let me ask you, are you ready for a personal Pentecost? Are you ready to say, okay, I'm all in. I open up the doors to conviction. I want to confess sin. I want the things of God to be true and real in me. And I want to encounter the reality and the fullness of Jesus Christ in my life. You may not be at that place today. You may not understand anything I'm saying to you. But I'm making that offer. Number one is an offer that if this whole spirit thing is due to you like it was for me a number of years ago, then Graham and Elizabeth over here are going to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. They don't even know it, but they just got nominated. So Graham and Elizabeth, raise your hands. If you've never received or prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, they're going to be ready right here to pray for you. Right? If there is something that you need to do, if, if you know that you need to come bend the knee and bow before Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit and Open the door for him to release his spirit to convict you, which means to love you into this place of renewal with him in a relationship with himself. Then this altar is open. Okay? If you are a Christian and you've received the spirit of God, but you know that you know that you know you need to receive a fresh anointing because you've just gone stale and you're managing your own life. 
You're at the helm. You got your hands on the wheel. You're doing your own thing. You hadn't even slowed down enough to ask the Holy Spirit, what would you have me do next? Then somebody's going to be over here. Uh, Bill and Rosemary are going to be over here ready to pray for you to receive a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God. If you good and glorious and you've been in your prayer closet this morning, you all fold up, then you get to come take communion and celebrate the goodness of who Jesus Christ is. But I want to ask you, church, where are you in your personal Pentecost? Can you walk away and say, I simply see by the grace of God, because of the sufferings of Jesus Christ, I see the power of God moving through me to heal and to save and to lead people to a place of reconciliation and redemption in their life to God? If you don't, then here's your opportunity. Because God wants to move. He wants to empower you. He's ready his church to come off the shelf and shake off the dust and lead you to be a person you've never knew was possible before. And I'm at the first in the line because I already had my prayer time this morning. Now I'm expecting him to move in power. Are you welcoming his spirit to have his way in you? Or are you going to be stiff-necked like the Old Testament church? I'm telling you, there's nothing but goodness nothing but glory. There's nothing but freedom. There's nothing but space and, 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 and great things. There's nothing but chains falling off and, and worship like you've never worshipped before. There's only good things of what Jesus has in store for those who come and bend the knee before his cross and say, yes, give me your blessed Holy Spirit. Let your prayer become a cry and know the goodness of God. Jesus, have your